before we even enter the room with the disciples and before we tend to Thomas, I want to take a moment to talk about a parenthetical remark that John makes. He writes, when it was evening on that day, the first of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. The doors were locked for fear of the Jews. The short phrase is among several anti-Jewish statements in the Gospel of John. In the context of our reading, it might seem small, a few words, a description of where the disciples are gathered. But of course, its impacts are much larger. If John is read without any attention to his dualisms of in-group and out-group, of followers of Jesus and the Jews, it can and has led to immense harm against our Jewish siblings. In John's Gospel, the Jews are blamed for the crucifixion of Jesus. Evan attended to this in his Good Friday sermon, and if you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend it. Then, following the crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples are hiding in a locked room for what John calls fear of the Jews. When we read this without interrogation and questioning, it is easy to see how there has been so much supersessionism and anti-Semitism in the Christian tradition. We have an opportunity, a duty really, to notice that harm, to stop it in its tracks, and to work to repair the harm that Christians have caused for our Jewish siblings. Here are some things that I hope we can take away with us from a careful look at John's Gospel. One, Gospel writing, as with all historical writing, is deeply contextual. It's specific to the culture that surrounds the writer and specific to the mind of that writer. The gospel is still the word of God, but it is the word of God as revealed in particular ways. God is not the one naming fear of the Jews. Jewish people are God's children as well. Two, Jesus was Jewish. I like to give this reminder often. Jesus was not a Christian. Christians are Christ followers, and that term didn't exist until many years after Jesus' death. Jesus went to synagogue, he prayed in the temple, he read the Hebrew scriptures, and he observed Jewish holidays and practiced Jewish rituals. Three, and perhaps the most significant, so I want to state it very plainly, Christianity is in no way superior to Judaism. We have similarities, we share a God, and we share much of our sacred writings. We are not superior. We are different, and we are similar. We are equals, and we are siblings. I hope that we can hold all of this in mind as we enter the room with the disciples. Mind you, the disciples' fear was likely not because of the Jewish people in general. They, too, were Jewish. Their fear, though, is entirely reasonable. Their friend and teacher was killed by Roman authorities and killed in a particularly gruesome way. 
Roman authorities used crucifixion as a public demonstration of what happens when you challenge their authority. Then the disciples hear reports of the resurrection, which is also frightening and confusing. People are not supposed to come back from the dead, and yet that's what's happening. There's so much for the disciples to be anxious, fearful, and confused about. The disciples are afraid of what comes next. What will happen to them? And I imagine they were afraid as they sat with their own unknowing. And then Jesus appears in a locked room. Whether Thomas was with other friends or his family, sheltering in a place elsewhere, or going to pick up takeout for the disciples, he isn't there when Jesus appears to them. And Thomas has the same reaction that many of us would have too. Something unbelievable happens, and Thomas struggles to believe it. That makes sense. He wants to see Jesus for himself. I empathize with Thomas. I imagine that John included this piece of the narrative because John knows we will connect with Thomas in some way. After all, we have more in common with him than we do with the disciples who were there the first time Jesus appeared. We also missed the big moment. We weren't in the room where it happened. Then Jesus, in his all-knowing way, appears to to the disciples again and offers Thomas the chance to touch the wounds of the crucifixion. Without Thomas even asking, Jesus offers his body for Thomas and for Thomas's belief. And indeed, Thomas believes as soon as he encounters his risen Lord. Then Jesus states, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. I don't think Jesus is comparing Thomas with the rest of the disciples who had the opportunity to see Jesus first. I don't even think that Jesus is using this statement as a critique of Thomas himself. And we always have to consider that our reading is filtered through John, the gospel writer, who of course has the goal of encouraging belief for his readers. There are two things happening in the gospel passage we read today. They seem to be intention but perhaps they're working together. Jesus, on the one hand, offers his body for Thomas to see and to touch, and on the other hand, says that people who believe without seeing are blessed. The offer of his body and his statement seem almost contradictory. Here's what I see happening, though. Jesus empathizes with Thomas. He empathizes with Thomas's doubt, shock, and wonder. Jesus knows that for Thomas, the physical relationship to Jesus is important for his belief. Jesus knows that relationship is significant to faith. Our faith or belief or trust all require relationship. Whether this is a quote from Jesus himself or an addition from John, we hear this line, blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's us. I think this statement is much less about Thomas 
and much more about our own experience of faith. I don't know about you, but I have not seen the literal human body of Jesus. I have not seen or felt the holes in his hands and feet or the wound in his pierced side. I have not witnessed the resurrected Christ walking around town and appearing in locked rooms. I have not literally seen his miraculous human form. I have experienced Jesus, though. Jesus has appeared to me in many other ways. Thomas and Jesus shared physical proximity. And in Thomas's questioning, Jesus appeared to offer Thomas the opportunity to experience faith in relationship with God made flesh. In our wondering and our own wrestling with our faith, God appears to us in relationships and in community. We experience our faith in community. Our faith deepens and grows in community. It's easy to look at this passage and to look at Thomas, the disciple, and arrive at this narrative of doubting Thomas. I want to resist that narrative, though, because when we only see Thomas's doubt, we make faith a comparative enterprise. I highly doubt that Jesus was intending for us to read these words thousands of years later and think about Thomas by saying, ye of little faith. Thomas is not less than the other disciples for wanting to see what they saw. Thomas is human in a moment of questioning. We also question, and Jesus responds. It is true. We do not see Jesus in the same way that Thomas did. And thus, we are those believers who did not see. But like Thomas... Jesus responds to our questions, doubts, and wondering. Like Thomas, our faith is strengthened through embodied relationships. Jesus appears to us differently. We may not see his resurrected body in the way that Thomas and the disciples did, but we encounter the body of Christ all the time. Our community of fellowship, worship, and service is an embodied encounter with Christ. When we gather in fellowship, we know the body of Christ as it is made present in our world through our relationships with one another. The noise of chatter and laughter, the touch of shaking hands or sharing a hug, these all show us the power of God. Our faith is strengthened in our time together. When we gather in worship, we see the body of Christ in a loaf of bread. We gather in faith, in relationship, and in embodied practice. Not only do we see the body of Christ in one another and in bread, we also taste and smell the body and blood of Jesus as we receive communion. We hear the glory of God in music and in prayers. When we gather in service, we experience Jesus and the wounds of his body in the world. We see the wounds of our friends and neighbors who are Christ before us. We see the wounds caused by the world 
and we see God's healing and resurrecting power. We encounter the risen Christ in different ways, but Jesus still gives us the opportunity to have our faith strengthened through embodied relationship. And like Thomas, when we miss out on the opportunity to be together, it is hard, and sometimes our faith is shaken. We have felt all of this directly in the time of COVID. We have missed being together. When we miss a gathering of the disciples, like Thomas did, our unbelief and doubt can bubble to the surface. Our pain can challenge our faith. It's important that we attend to that grief and attend to those questions. Our ability to find new ways of connecting and to return when we can is important. I saw so many faces light up last week as we shared a loaf of bread rather than the wafers we've shared for many months. There is something about returning to this place together, about being with one another, and about sharing real bread that offers us the power and healing of resurrection. I anxiously await the days when we can continue to gather even more of us together. I celebrate and treasure the days when I get to have communion in your homes. And I feel the power of your prayers any time you watch our live streams. We are together as a body, as the body of Christ. Our senses and experiences of one another are critical to our faith. Our faith is embodied, relational, and communal. Jesus says, blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Blessed are those who have not seen the flesh and bone of Jesus, but have experienced Jesus in each one of our senses through relationships and in community, in sight and smell and hearing, in taste and touch. Jesus is with us. Amen.